Ryan. Hold on, we're connecting audio. Can you hear me? Check, check. Hello, hello. Ryan, I can hear you. Yes, I can hear you loud and clear now. Woo! Yeah. Well, it is an absolute pleasure to see you over the screen here. You, <laughs> you, you want to jump right into it? Um, yeah, I was thinking um, if it's okay that I uh, just do a mantra at the start of it, uh, which will just like bring a calm and a, a bit of a connection to the ocean with the listeners and with us. Does that sound like something that'd be cool? Get that, things sounds, going? that sounds perfect. And um, so should I do a uh, my, my quick introduction and then we go into that? Or how would you like to se sequence this? Yeah, that sounds perfect, man. Yeah. And I checked the the notes um, that you sent me, and that that looks perfect. That'll be that'll be really yeah. Cool. And, and we can kind of like jump around ad hoc. It it's it's real loose. Yeah, sounds great, man. Excellent. And is there a delay? Cheers, in me... Yeah, right, right. Sick. Is there a delay between me speaking and and you hearing it? Yeah, on my end there is. Yeah. What about your end? Yeah, a little bit. So I'll just <laughs> account for that in my um in my brain. Sure. Yeah. How's my picture? Right. Is it all good? Yeah, man. You're looking really good. It looks like a beautiful day. Awesome. <laughs> sick sick <Awesome>. house. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, here we go. Hello. Welcome to Speaking from Water, episode 32. I'm your host, Sean Rutke. And this is the podcast where we bring the most epic water legends to the fold. And I have an epic water legend with us on the line right now. Uh, so, you know, the surfing world has Kelly Slater. Basketball has Michael Jordan. Swimming has Michael Phelps. Um, and bodyboarding has Ryan Hardy. And I have him here on the line. I'm super excited to uh, to be speaking with Ryan. Ryan uh, is the the basically the number one bodyboarder of all time. Um, and uh, he's here with us. Ryan, good day. Good day. Stoked to be here. Really stoked, oh. yeah. I mean, just to be uh, a representative of someone that loves the ocean um, as much as, as anyone else, I feel. And, and just it means so much in my life. And uh, it really seems like this channel is all about that. You know, a life devotion, the ocean and how much it brings to us on such a deep and uh, really wide level. Yeah, so it's really cool to be able to have the opportunity to talk about this with you, Sean. Ryan, that is the goal of this channel. And uh, you have not really been on my my top radar until a listener um, DM me, uh, Aiden Salmon. And I interviewed his brother, uh, Kean Salmon, a few um, weeks ago, he he was in Ireland filming the giant slab, and um, and they brought you up as just an ultimate guru of water. So I I just did a deep dive in into your life, your world. I consumed every piece of digital media that that has your name on it, and bro, I'm absolutely um, blown away by what you've done 
where where you've come from, how you've transformed uh, to this day. So it is a true pleasure to to be with you. And thank you for taking the time to, to join us. And I understand you want to start today's session with a um, with a mantra, and I would like to hand it over to you. Great, thanks, Sean. Yeah, so basically, this is something recent that I've discovered. Um, just in the search for kind of fulfillment in life, and and especially with peace, um, living uh, with a condition of bipolar and now having a family with three kids and life being pretty pretty crazy and hectic and it you know it's not my old pro life of just chasing waves and contests around and good times and i think just having spent so much time in the ocean particularly uh and and you know getting older i am feeling a deeper connection with things and uh something i've spoken about with someone like my father who spent you know 60 years in the ocean is that as you get older there's more simple satisfaction and enjoyment and that's that's what i'm starting to find it's just the just to see it uh the ocean to be by it to to feel it it brings such satisfaction on a very simple and basic level and so and then you know going beyond that you can then go on to have the opportunity to find that simplicity and that enjoyment in the earth itself, you know, in nature, and and it's it's as deep as you want to go, you know, the universe, um, and that's what this mantra is all about for me, and something I've discovered to connect myself, sort of outs, that's what's within, but also uh, reaching further than the human realm. So, you know, and for me, that is so calming, and it brings such a a connection and love. And a joy for being alive and having this opportunity to connect with, with nature and the universe and sort of make a connection with the mystery of being alive here and uh so that, that's yeah what i'm gonna lead into with this mantra and hoping that it'll bring bring a, a calm to both my, definitely within myself because it seems to bring calm and brings me out of emotions and maybe nervousness and anticipation and i hope that for the for yourself and for the listeners that it can bring this same calm and and sort of bring us to a moment of slowing things down to just a level of um peacefulness and uh, a joy of just being alive and having the opportunity to connect with nature Okay, so it's what what I'd maybe ask the listeners uh, and yourself, Sean, is just to, while I'm going through this mantra, which which is a, a song, is to think of your favourite place in the ocean, your favourite beach, and perhaps not surfing the waves there, but just uh, the presence of being there and the fulfilment of being in that place. Great. So um, I'm just going to go through a couple of ohms to start with, just to, to slow my pace down and connect myself with the universe. Uh, a quick intro behind this mantra is, it's an ancient Hindu mantra, which in its simple form is, it, it has two parts to it. So the first part is praising the sun or the universe for giving us life. And the second part is asking for its strength and its guidance in our lives and 
it also has a religious tone if you're religious. So it's you know, asking to praise God and asking God for his, the strength and the guidance. And being not religious myself, I just sort of translate it to something that I can relate to on that universal level. And so it's a praising to the universe and in a more specific form, it can be a praising to the ocean for the joy and for the you know, positive life that it brings us and, and also asking for the strength and that positivity for, for what it gives us. Okay, so without rambling on much more, I'd just um, like to slowly go into this now, do a couple of uh, cycles of this mantra. Great. Om Om Dio Yona Prachodaya Om Bhubhahasvaha Tatsavitu Varaniyam Vargode Vasyarimahi Dio Yona Prachodaya Okay, that's that's me. Yeah, so that uh, for me, it's uh, it's it's said that that mantra is not so much about the words and the, the definitions behind it, but it's as much about the hum underneath the words and slowing things down in your personal tone with your connection between yourself and the world around you, the universe to a certain pace, which is in sync with the universal pace. So the, you know, the sun's movement, the moon's movement, the movement of the oceans, the winds, uh, the growth of trees, you know, this universal hum of forward movement in time and space and your own growth within that and bringing a real central unifying feel to that. Yeah, and it gives me a real uh, peacefulness. And when I often uh, have tried, I've done it at the ocean the other day, doing that for 20 minutes and then coming out of it with such a, a silence and connection that the sound of the waves, it just feels like that's that's me almost. It feels like I'm just uh, really in sync with it and getting a lot of joy from that, a lot of simple joy. Well, it was very beautiful and it brought me to a, instant level of, of peace uh can i ask where can one go to find the translation and then follow up to that how did you uh come to learn the the mantra yeah good question um i've just started a, a stretch and meditation class locally which is uh I've, I've done the certification for foundation training and 
So I've basically run a stretch class and I've also done Qigong and just created my st style, which is quite slowed down and bring that peacefulness in a uh, positive physical stretching class. And I was just, I really enjoy running slow, peaceful music through it, um, which helps to slow the body and the mind down and the breathing. And I came across this song, which I've heard before. And uh, it was a lady, a woman singing the, it's called the Gayatri Mantra. And I just loved it. The moment I, I you know, came to tears when I first heard it. It was just so emotional, the way she sings it and had that really slowed down, beautiful pace. And then I, I just went on to Google and searched its definition and its meaning. And it just struck me straight away. It's like, whoa, that just really resonates with me. Uh, it, it at first was quite religious in its back, its history of where it's came from. It's supposed to be one of the most ancient written texts uh, of human history, that mantra. It's a Hindu mantra, yeah, from uh, sort of Asia, I, I suppose. And I, I just, uh, which I've, often done is looked at the text which is religious and transferred it to a connection and a meaning with with the universe as far as the universe being god and just sort of simplified it for my own way and, and also um got creative with it to turn into something where i can praise the ocean and direct it towards the ocean as, and it's got that two-way relationship of a energy circuit where you're giving praise and then you're also receiving it and you really feel that when you connect with this mantra. And in the beginning, it was more of a, a learning of the words and being able to say it. And then once that became sort of automatic, then it was more finding the, the, the right pace and the connection with the environment around me and really having a, a feel and an intention behind that, the tone. Yeah, but it's all, yeah, it's all on Google, the, the information. So beautiful. Uh, for for the listeners who might not know about your background, um, you sure. you went you went through a period of, um, uh, I guess, a mental rehabilitation. And I, I guess uh, since we started with um, uh, the mantra and and going straight to the mind, I think maybe we should should touch on that here at the at the beginning because what I find so fascinating really about your story is your your first, you have this life where you are the best, like you are the top body border in, in the world for, for so long of a period, which when you're the best at something, that's a very egocentric place to be. And, um, mm -hmm. but you, you still seem by watching you in, in that, in those old, in those old clips, you're very in tune with, with the ocean, with what you're doing. Uh, you speak about it in those times, uh, uh, as such, um, then you you go through a period, and I, I believe you even were, were hospitalized for a, for a bit, and then you come out of that onto medication, as I understand, and then you you then enter another phase of um, spiritual enlightenment, and this journey uh, I find um, a, a, a lot of people can kind of connect with because everyone has their own own issues and they're trying to deal with things and people are telling them to do this and that um i guess break it break what i just kind of spelled out there in in, in your own terms and and um explain to me this this journey you've been on sure yeah i'd love to 
um, when when I talk about it and like to explain it, I like to try and go below the sort of um, terms and words that kind of box things in. Like when you, when you're talking about a label of bipolar and you know uh, ment uh, psychiatric wards and institutes, uh, I like to try and come below that and just talk about what my personal experience was as far as my emotions, my thoughts, my actions. So um, yeah, basically the background of it was, um, well, my, my father has lived with um, a condition of, of just being kind of eccentric and uh, what else would you say, just, um, you know, just di different to the norm as far as his energy levels, his mannerisms, his social interaction. And I do believe that my condition is different, but it's still, it's definitely linked, you know? So um, my experience what it was it with that, first of all, I have a twin brother and he had the you know, psychiatric uh, issues that came up years before me, three years before me, he, he, he had taken, uh, he was had a drug-induced psychosis where he'd taken uh, meth at one point and just sent him on a bit of a spiral where it, it almost sends you into this imaginative world in your mind, which 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 basically takes over and you don't you lose track of what's reality and what your mind's perception is, and that that's the point where your family around you, your friends, start to become concerned uh, that you. You're not quite in control of of your life's direction, your thoughts and your emotions. So that that happened to him. He was hospitalised for quite a long time. So it was pretty serious. Uh, that was in 2004, and then three years later in 2007, it was a year after I'd been I'd had my most intense competitive year. So there was a lot of pressure, a lot of emotions up and down. Uh, a lot of excitement so things for me in my life in that in 2006 so it was the first time I was running for the world title I had some of my biggest wins and most shattering losses losses and so internally things were my emotional spectrum was was deepening so but prior to that point I'd had you know I was just a child teenager early 20s things were you know, stable relatively, getting regular sleep, I was healthy, um, mind-wise, mind nothing was, was too extreme or off the grid, so to speak. I was very, I was very sort of passionate and obsessive um, and I'd go very deep in, into things and I was, I was all in, you know, with, with whatever I did and particularly with bodyboarding. But that worked for me in a positive way because uh, it, it rocketed me through bodyboarding in, in how fast I progressed and how well I did competitively, free surfing, doing videos because I was so dedicated and applied and so driven and passionate and had the physical talent. So then 2006, um, with, with all this happening, uh, towards the end of the year, I started to, it was like I was so revved up thinking about yeah, these, the world title coming up, the training that suddenly my, it wasn't just I was hyped up during the day, I was also hyped up during the night. And so I wasn't, I wasn't getting a full sleep. And this sort of kept going 
for months. Um, through the world title, uh, lost, got second place, devastating. Um, so big, big emotions were going on, and I was feeling so much. Uh, and um, you know, it's just very busy in my body and my mind. Uh, basically unstable, I'd say. It was too, too often and day in day out that my emotions were just going really up and down. And at that point, through that competitive year, through the start of the next year, it was manageable. And my mind and my emotions were not going to a place that I couldn't come back to centre. So then going to 2007, uh, I was continuing to have these high energy spells uh, and not sleeping through the night with really um, high energy. But, but it was all positive. I wasn't having any negative yet. I wasn't losing. Um, being, I, I was still being able to come back to calm and back to centre and it wasn't anything unusual going on. I just thought, wow, I've just got a lot of energy and uh, it's a bit annoying not being awake at night, but this is great and fine. And then it came to, I did a surf trip to WA with um, some friends of mine and we had some really good surf and I was catching up with my family. I was there with my wife and things were, were going really well and I was feeling really good. And then, uh, and I was still having these sleepless nights. And then, and then things started to rev up even more. As, as things revved up in my mind and I was getting less sleep, emotionally I was getting high, higher and higher. And then as, as I was getting higher emotions and racier mind, I'd be awake at night with so much energy in my mind running so fast that I'd start just writing notes and I, you know, starting to make plans around what's called delusions of grandeur of, of just making plans of basically saving the world and creating organizations around say anti-drug organizations, um, creating all these organizations to basically make the world a better place, which, which is, you know, seems positive, but it was just kind of big endless rants that didn't really have a structure. And I was kind of keeping this all to myself. So I was still, appearing calm and, and normal to a, to a degree on the surface. And then, but it spiraled, spiraled very fast. And within a couple of days, I was starting to listen to music by myself and getting so euphoric uh, as in, as probably, you know, perhaps like doing ecstasy or, or a, a drug that takes you just to incredible heights of feeling love and uh, wanting to pursue you know, crazy risky things and because i was keeping it all with my, my to myself i wasn't talking about this these extremes with anyone it eventually i did with my wife but i wasn't talking about it with anyone so in my mind i was starting to come up with reasons to to why this was happening because I, I wasn't receiving any mentoring by people that had been through this to sort of understand what these feelings and thoughts were about. So it was all the, I was all left to myself and my own mind's devices to create reasons as to why this was happening. And so this started to go into the delusional. So I started to think that I was evolving as a person, as a human. Uh, I started to uh, have thoughts like I was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ, that I was getting, I was having 
getting all this energy and having all this loving emotion because I was, I was you know, becoming this, this spirit that I was the spirit. I was seeing image human race to evolve us to become the aliens of the future. Uh, you know, so things started going into the imaginative at a very extreme level. And then eventually I talked to my wife and told her about these things that I was believing and thinking and feeling because I just felt incredible um, emotions of positive, incredibly physically energized. And then I started to say things like I was telepathic and telling her she has to go to the beach at a certain time and asking her to, to think of numbers and that I would be reading the numbers in her head. And she she was became concerned and she called my mum and my mum knew straight away that I was experiencing similar things to what my twin brother had been through. And so she straight away said, okay, Ryan, I think it's time to take, take you to the place where Brett went to the psychiatric ward. And at this time, I was still, I was feeling amazingly positive. I had all this energy, all this positive energy, positive emotions. I, I was going surfing all day with the boys. I was up all, just about all night writing all, um, all this stuff about, you know, bringing love and plans to the world to end uh, negative things. And so when my mum came to me, there was a little bit of fight, a little bit of a shock of, oh, but wait a minute, I'm on this grand plan and I'm, I'm flying high. You know, why, is, why is this happening? But part of me also trusted her that she'd, she'd followed Brett through this and I trusted her uh, guidance and her experience to enough to say, yeah, okay, let's, let's take this place. It's for a reason. I'm still, you know, obviously really high, just going with it. So when it was when I got to the psychiatric ward that they, you know, hit me with a lot of uh, down of slow, slow down drugs, medication that slowed me down enough to reflect on these thoughts I've been having and, and the emotions to realize, and also with my mum's encouragement and people around me that were aware of what was going on. Uh, to to realize, okay, that's that's a bit outside of uh, basically sanity, you know, of of rational thinking, um, stable emotions. That my sleep patterns were not uh, not conducive to a healthy lifestyle, and yeah, so I I spent just a week in there, enough to slow me down because I wasn't too far out of. Uh, you know, I wasn't um, a danger to people. I wasn't um, a danger to myself. I was just a little, just starting to spiral uh, to the irrational and I needed slowing down. And then from there, I had six months off and spent time, a lot of time with my wife and my family to work, try and work it out. Okay, what happened? Uh, what's this part of me? Trying to um, understand that and trying to find stability from there forward. Yeah, so thanks for listening. It's quite a long rant, but that's that's my experience with yeah, mental illness and, and what that means underneath that, inside of that word and that term bipolar, inside of that is that was my emotional, mental and physical experience. Yeah. 
So, so very interesting. So it's important to note here that unlike your, your brother, you, you weren't on any other substances that brought you to this place. You, um, it, it was kind of just part of, of your biochemistry, uh, and, and lifestyle that, that took you there. And the fact that when you're, um, that you didn't fight, it doesn't sound like the, you didn't push back that hard about getting the help you needed. It was like, there was a, a level of acceptance. And I, I, I think a lot of people who might struggle with, with similar things might have, that might be the biggest barrier is, is getting the help they need. Um, and could you just kind of say something about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's, that is a huge barrier is, uh, <clears throat> being inside of it and thinking that you're in control and thinking that <clears throat> all your thoughts and feelings are rational and, and just, just, you know, being a bit stubborn and thinking that you're all good, that there's reasons why all this stuff's ha ha happening because when you're inside of it, it's somehow, um, it just, I think it happened. It always happens kind of gradually and you just think it's, it's a part of you and um, there's nothing wrong with you basically. And that, that's very common. So it was, it was definitely uh, fortunate that well, a, my twin brother had been through it first and that B my mother and my wife were able to recognize uh, what was going on early, early in the piece. But yeah, you're right. There's, there's definitely uh, a lot of, stories around people kind of refusing help or or feeling that there there's nothing wrong with them and that's quite often a big problem for their people around them that care for them and are concerned how's your how's your brother today yeah he's he's great he's um you know ha definitely had periods over the years since he first came on where mm. it's been a struggle and it's just really a journey of, of managing um, what the certain way that, that affects you, you, you know, your thoughts, your feelings, what triggers you, your sleep, how your sleep affects your mental and physical health. And, you know, each, each person in each case is, is unique and different to the, to the next, you know, so our experience is not the same. Um, and so we have to manage it in a way that works best for us as far as lifestyle, medication, um, and, and, and connection with physical activity, nature, and just particularly how much you can take on. Because obviously it's the triggering stress, the uh, being getting too wound up and revved up and, and not getting enough slowdown or calm time that can you know, send you spiraling into bad health. That's so interesting that that bit of of the stressful part because people, especially in where I live here in, in America, it, it's like grind, grind, grind. And I think I, I've I've lived in Australia for for a little bit, and there's a different ethos and culture uh, in your country of taking time for the self. Um, you know, taking a vacation for a month in, in you know in America, if someone takes a vacation for a week, um, they feel guilty. So it's like. Um, we have we have more health problems here because of that. Uh, I want to touch back on this um, here in the in the future, but right now I'd like to go back to the beginning, if that's okay. 
you're from no. uh the you're, you're from wa i i, I would like to know yes. yeah from margaret Rudolph. what what's your earliest recollection of the beach and you being just in awe of the beach uh you mentioned your father was a surfer or is, is a surfer uh i assume you grew up by the water it, it was probably at a very early age but when did when did you really feel the love well definitely the the first time i pretty specifically felt the love for riding a wave and bodyboarding was probably six years old at one of the beaches down here where it's a nice um shallow sandbank and you get a, a good ride in the whitewash and so it was my dad pushing me in on a snapped foamy board the white uh cool lights i think they were called yeah and uh just the feel the feeling of the power of uh the wave pushing me and the holding on for for life and and then the, the feeling of, of the speed over the water um that was just, it's just so strong in my memory, you know, the, particularly the the feeling of the power and the speed and joy of the ride at that age. Yeah, that was definitely the moment of, wow, this is um, so much uh, just crazier and more intense and more joyful than anything else I'd try to experience at that point in life. And then what was the next step for you? Were, were you like, oh, I'm going to be the best in the world at that point? Or what was that trajectory? Uh, was school a factor? Uh, how how did your life play to the point from then to getting into competitions and just starting to kill it? Yeah, sure. Um, so from, from six, it was quite slow because in Margaret River in the southwest, the winters can be really rough and rainy and cold. And so a lot of young kids around here get to get into sports you know foot, football soccer so uh for me for for years probably for four years uh i was playing sports just as much or more than i was body surfing bodyboarding uh probably, probably going back um around that age of six to eight i also rode my dad's surfboard quite a bit uh like again in the whitewash or the shallow the shallow reef and i was really enjoying that as well um, that was really a really good feeling and good fun doing that with my brothers. And then we're, when we're about eight, we first got the the Max Seven Sevens, and so that was the moment where bodyboarding, for some reason, just just seeing the bodyboard, the colours of it, the feel of it, that was really attractive to me. That really, to me, it just felt better than uh, the feel of the surfboard, the ride of the surfboard. It just seemed more fun more joyful like I, I definitely loved both but for whatever reason i was more attracted to the boogie board to the max seven uh and the the excitement about around that and then so from there there was mostly bodyboarding from eight to ten with no flippers just on this little sandbank and the shore breaks again still still a lot of sports um just a little bit of beach time in the summertime more here and there and then by ten uh, my older brothers were getting pretty into it, starting to get um, uh, to a good ability. The magazines and videos were starting. And so the excitement was starting around then. There was no big plans or uh, massive aspirations, but there was definitely excitement about it. And I remember my dad going to the sports shop and getting me my first flippers, my first fins when I was 10. And that was definitely where... Um, 
I felt I became a bodyboarder. I felt that, oh, wow, now I can paddle out the back and I can catch these bigger, faster waves on my Max 7. And that that was sort of the launch of my obsession. And then, and then so that started to become more exciting than the sports I was doing, doing the tennis, doing the hockey. Uh, but my, I saw my mum was quite disciplined and encouraging of me to keep doing the sports, sort of against... I really wanted to just bodyboard, but I still like the sports. So I kept doing the sports through till 12. And about 12 was when I did my first competition. Uh, it was a competition in Perth. It was a, a pro-am, so it was pros and amateurs there. And I remember seeing some of the professionals of the time from Australia, Steve Bullet McKenzie and Wingnut, and seeing these guys riding waves and they were just going so fast. And, of course, it was, it was the bodyboarding that just excited me and was just... Yeah, so much more exciting than these other sports I was doing. And then doing the competition was the same. I was so amped up. I just loved it. The excitement of it, the pushing myself in the water, the trying to do all the moves to get the scores. And so after that comp, then I was then I was saying to my mum, This this is all I want to do. Yeah, no more of the other sports. I'm done with them. Uh, this is where I'm going. And probably by thirteen, so a year of bodyboarding and doing a few more comps, seeing the pros coming to do the comps in Western Australia. That was where I, I, I have a specific moment where like, I didn't really talk much within my family around wanting to be a pro, probably around the, the um, you know, not wanting to be teased about it or, or given shit by my brothers. Like, Oh, what? That's, that's a crazy dream. We we live on the, in some remote place. There's, there's no way, there's no chance, but, I just had it in my head. And then at school, there was, we all were going through career books and I, I went straight to a section which was around a sports person, being a sports person. And for me, that meant being a professional bodyboarder. And that was at 13. And that was the moment where I planned the seed that that was all I wanted to do was to be a pro, pro bodyboarder. And um, prob probably around that stage, because a lot of the magazines and videos were coming out, was also the the beginning of an aspiration to be at that stage one of the top guys, one of the professionals, uh, a rider like Mike Stewart who made bodyboarding look amazing, have these sponsors and doing these competitions, just to be one of those guys, one of the stars. Yeah, that was that was my dream at that point. In in what year are we right now? Ninety two. 92 and, I, and around this period i think a year or two later um mike stewart did jaws and that that was pretty phenomenal i remember as a as a young guy um seeing that him do that on a bodyboard at the same time laird and derek and uh dave kalama derek donor were were doing that it was it was like wow bodyboarding is legit and for real and from from a east coast surfer perspective you know i started on a bodyboard i still have my first bodyboard over here it's a scott and that's what i learned on and yeah, yeah let me show you all right Ch check this out you know, yeah like, yeah like right like <laughs> I, I, I started on this and it, ocean city maryland the next step was surfing and it, it wasn't like um we we don't we didn't have the culture you guys have. We don't have the slabs. 
uh, we, we have waves that are, are surfable for the most part, and that's what you did next. Um, before we continue on, speak a little bit about, about that, staying with bodyboarding, um, not uh, getting going to surfing, which is a completely different sport and, uh, in, in the world of, of wave riding. And it also comes with a completely different cultural set, historical figures. Um, it, it has its own ethos, just like bodyboarding has its own ethos. Uh, could you please speak to the ethos of bodyboarding and kind of, uh, well, one, why you stuck with it and why you loved it so much, and then two, the culture? Sure. Um, well, what's interesting on that point is when I first started, uh, my twin brother at the same time went to surfing. So we we were kind of growing up always a little bit individual in our choices of kind of doing different things to each other. So as much of the, the natural attraction and the pure attraction of me going to the bodyboard, there would definitely have been a little bit of, I'm going to do something different to my twin brother because we both were doing the surfing on our dad's surfboard and we were both uh, doing well with it. We were both, um, uh, you know, getting some good rides and, and doing well for our age. But when the bodyboards came along, I, yeah, I just went in that direction. And so for me, the, the attraction and what I enjoyed about that, um, I, it's probably cool because it, that decision was made when I was quite young, you know, before any of the you know, prejudice or, you know, why are you bodyboarding or anything like that? You know, being a kid, it's so pure, the feeling, the desire around what, choosing something, doing something. And so thinking back to then, I love the feel of the bodyboarding. I love the colors. You know, I love that it was, it had this unique look to it and a unique ride because it was new at the time too, to surfing. And so even just, even just the laying on the board and holding my hands. Uh, and I think, you know, look, looking back on it, knowing that I'm a very sensitive person, touch sensitive, emotional sensitive. I think that, the holding the board in my hands and feeling it under my torso was a good a good thing because I, I just felt it so much and I felt the wave and the power so much. Like I was talking about with that first ride, laying close to the water and getting smashed by the whitewash and thrust forward. There's so much feeling to bodyboarding and that, especially you know, being a, a highly sensitive person, is just so, it's, it's such pleasure. And excitement in that and then and then going on from that um i did trampolining when i was young so i did a lot of uh you know acrobatic stuff like backflips and somersaults and bodyboarding allowed me to bring that to the water to the waves with that high speed and just all combined to be this really exciting um amping thing to do and it just it just seemed to just suit me and i just loved it you know, I, I, I did love I did love the surfing, but it didn't offer um, the sort of things that I was most enjoyed and most were most attracted to. Yeah, well, I think that's probably that's probably the case of a lot of people that that do um, go to bodyboarding is is that that just that stuff, those feelings, the the movements, uh, the connection to the wave, you know, that sensitivity and that enjoyment. That's that's the appeal. But you know, whether it's small or big or however risky that's that's the appeal at a simple level yeah 
and it makes so much sense the way you explain it because the bodyboarding culture as a as a whole from the outside looking in you guys like you don't care what other people think and you care about what how, how you feel and what feels best to you and you're true to your your core as a as a group and um and i'm not just saying this from my own observations i've been uh some previous interviews um Maria Fernanda is a, a big wave um, photographer out of Porto Escondido. We were talking on a previous episode and she was saying how I, I said, well, what do you like shooting the most? Um, and she's like, I, I like shooting surfers, but I like hanging out with bodyboarders. And she feels more um, of a connection with the bodyboarders because they are um, a, a sensitive group and and, and they're the, the egos to the side. Um, and I, I just thought that was an interesting note of, um, culturally about about uh the bodyboarding as a, as a whole and would you agree with that comment or statement yeah 100 percent. it's very interesting like that that um that the feeling that that comes with the writing you know that the slightly more sensitivity and and the connection to the wave um and and, it, and also the the people around you know that sort of comes with being considerate and being empathic, you know, considering other people's feelings, you're feeling the wave so much. There's a lot of feeling in there and a lot of connection. And it is very common, definitely, with, with bodyboards on land and in, in a social circle, that bodyboards in general, and probably also because of the culture of, um, you know, definitely around the world, country to country, so bodyboards are a bit put down, looked on as, as second nature. Um, and you know, getting that sort of prejudice and, and sort of racist really, um, uh, yeah, they're experiencing that part of life. It, it does make them a bit more empathic and understanding of each other and what they've been through. And, um, you know, it does break down that sort of ego barrier and of, of not, not wanting to put other people down or appear above other people because they understand what's that like and it's a, a negative experience and it's it doesn't feel good and you don't want other people to you know to feel bad by doing that so, so it's you and that happens generally early on in life when you are more sensitive most sensitive you know as, as a child as a teenager and so it shapes your life it shapes your personality and you know your the way you perceive the world and particularly socially and that's right it does it does shape a lot of bodyboarders to to have this trait of uh, being humble, of being respectful, of being um, empathic towards other people, considering how other people feel, the way you communicate with them, and um, and and it brings people together because of that, because of the similarities, and um, that definitely kind of kind of explains what you're talking about there. That it, that it, it it takes away this ego or this divide where you might think that you're better than someone else because of something that you do or something you know something that's a part of your life and uh, so there's a lot more sort of even playing ground and acceptance of people um and that's that's a really cool thing i think that that as that sort of general characteristic of, of the bodyboarders in in the surf culture well that was so beautifully said and as you're speaking i was thinking first principles of the sport your body is more in tune with the water. Your whole body's touching the water as you're moving. And that I believe probably has something to do with it. Also, you, you are very in tune physically 
with the water as you move across it. And that's very deep. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to go deeper than that, sort of on a physical level and an energetic level, when because I've done a lot of um, work around energy work with, uh, say, energy, very experienced and high and uh, high level energy workers and energy healers. You know, got the whole your whole chakra system, your whole electrical system of your body is literally, you know, your whole torso's front, which is what bodyboard is laying on you know so there's no there's no wonder and no doubt that there's so much feeling in that part of your body you know so much emotional feeling and physical feeling and and senses and receptors you know in that part in that part of your body so when you're laying on that part and, and you're in the water and on a board on surface and there's so much feeling going on you've got your hands which is some of you, again your most sensitive parts of your body it's uh yeah it's sort of a, a definitely a sensory overload and it's uh it all comes into it so you were uh, you're growing up uh, in western australia margaret river when did you start surfing the big waves of uh of the the slabs you have you have there um and i i, I told um uh key and salmon that i would uh uh ask you what about your first session at the right? And sure. um, yeah, I would like to know like your introduction to heavy slabs. Um, one sec, I'll just plug in. I'm about to run out of battery. Uh, here we go. So, um, um, you know, growing up in Margaret River was a, definitely an advantage as far as getting early taste of surfing slabs, having, having the box, having uh, waves like Gas Bay, North Point, and 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 at an early age they were quite uncrowded so i had the and my older brother was charging at that point when i was like 13 he was 16. him and his mates were really starting to go pretty hard on the, the ledges around where i lived and they were always uh, particularly my older brother was always pushing me to go harder to go bigger and so i definitely like developed that love at, a, at quite an early age for the rush of surfing reef breaks and uh you know the rush of the intensity of thick barrels and and just this you know you just going to this other world of surfing a reef, a remote reef break out off the headland with your mates and uh, it was so exciting and it's the sickest time and uh i think for, from a an early age i had a, just aspirations to um basically kind of go big and set goals of uh of charging heavy waves. And I remember as, as an eight year old, when I took the first, uh, we first got our bodyboards, our Mac sevens, going to the, the car park at surface point, where you see the box across the bay, across the channel. And this was at a point where it was very rarely surfed. There was the occasional pro surfer that would surf there during the Margaret River Pro. Uh, so the bodyboards weren't quite surfing it yet. And yeah, just as this bold, eight-year-old in my little um dreaming mind i was saying to myself one day i want to conquer that way as an eight-year-old yeah it still kind of shocks me to this day but i guess it just was an um a little goal of mine it was an indication of of my uh spirit my nature of just wanting to take things on 
you know, for, for the rush, for perhaps for a bit of the prestige of just, you know, this uh, grand dream of just taking on something that seems impossible, something that seems, and, but it was just so attractive to me, these massive barrels, these huge spits, um, just feeling so drawn to it, you know, just to, to conquer, just to um, take this thing on. And that, that uh, part of me and that desire and that dream is definitely, you know, the, the nature of me, my spirit, which led me uh, to get to the right and paddle out and having, this, that, having that goal. And probably another big part of it was it came after I had the mental health challenge and, and spent a year out of the water and I watched the imagery and the videos of the guys that first surfed it. I went through quite a long low period after that first hospitalization where uh, I was through the period that I was feeling really low, I lost a lot of confidence. And I remember rocking up to Shark Island to surf the contest and I was looking at the reef and the rocks and having bad anxiety and thinking it was too heavy. I couldn't, I couldn't chart, I couldn't do it. I pulled out of the contest. And so I really lost a lot of confidence through that stage. And I remember watching the right footage and the photos and just thinking, how are you guys doing that? That's so massive. And, and, uh, you know, that, so somehow that, that my spirit had just been broken and that, uh, that confidence and the desire, it just, uh, was wavering, didn't seem there anymore. But then as I slowly came back to the ocean and my health got better and I started to understand what I'd been through. Um, I, I was getting starting to surf bigger waves. I went back to Hawaii again in January, um, surfed some bigger waves over there and, and just started to come back to me. And then I was looking at the, the imagery of the bright and, and feeling, Oh, wait a minute. It's, no, I want this. I'd look at that wave. That's like what I saw was the box, uh, that double the size and on steroids. And, and that's my dream wave, you know, a heavy right handed that I've, growing up surfing and then uh, I knew because when I was watching all this and I was in this low period, I was on the Gold Coast in Australia, living there with my wife. And after Hawaii in, in 2008, we moved back to West Australia and it was not till a couple of, year, a couple of years later that I got to have that opportunity to surf the right to paddle out there. So I had a couple of years to really get back into surfing WA, surfing the slabs and um, finding my feet again, getting my confidence back. And, and uh, But that dream had been planted since uh, I saw the guys surfing and, and started feeling better and more confident. Yeah. And how, how was that first session? Uh, yeah, that was just still to this day, one of my most incredible sessions. Definitely. I, um, I drove down at, two o'clock in the morning from Margaret River. I left by myself uh, knowing the surf, the forecast looked pretty big with a possibility the winds might not be good. But um, so I had friends from Perth that were going to be driving down in the middle of the night if the winds look good on the observations. But I I just was committed. I just knew the swell was going to be big enough. I knew I wanted, I wanted to paddle out there um, and I was just going. I didn't, it wasn't. Uh, concern whether they were going to go out or not. I just knew I'd 
was just wanted to see it. I just wanted to get out there and catch some waves and and see it from my own eyes. So I got down there just at dawn at first light and went to the checkpoint and I saw there was there was no wind, which was a, a big win. That's what you want down there is no wind. And the the waves out on the this kind of bunch of outer reefs that surround the right, it was just like whitewash everywhere. So I knew, oh, it's big. <laughs> And the sound was just roaring, and uh, I knew it was—I knew it was going to be on. So there was no one around. It's just uh, this roaring ocean um, on top of these cliffs, and the bush all around. And I was just sort of the adrenaline started to kick in, so I was moving fast. My heart was beating. Uh, got my wedding, got my equipment, ran down the beach. And at this point, because um, there was whitewash everywhere, and I—I'd never been there before. I uh, I didn't know, I couldn't see where the right was and I didn't know, I hadn't been there, so I didn't know actually how to get out there. It was only um, looking at Google Google Maps, knowing that it was next to a rock that's out in the water and I could just see the rock in amongst all the whitewash and the sea mist. I could see the rock there, so I knew where to aim for and that if I aim for that, I'm going to see the right. So... I ran, yeah, ran to a corner of the beach where I could see that the sort of the shore break, the beach break was um, that there was a rip going out in the corner. The beach break was massive, like 10 to 12 foot because the swell was so big outside. And so I just had to rush through the, the beach break, getting pounded a few times, but getting out there. And so still at this stage, there was no one around. There's this big cliffs and a massive bay. And so it's kind of like a dream really just just being in this huge expanse of nature and a roaring ocean it's just it's just me there um you know just having my experience so it was pretty wild and then I paddled the the half hour from the shore out to the the breaks it's quite far off the shore so it's 30 minutes of paddling through this dark dark choppy water and then as I got close to the rock I came over a lump and just saw this giant slow motion barrel right hand barrel and it looked like first thing i thought when i saw it was whoa that's that's just like the box but like i like i was imagining twice as big twice as thick and just so gnarly looking but so perfect looking at the same time so i was like all right here we go that's it that's the right and then so i paddled up to it and just watched it for about 15 minutes just trying to get my scope on the reef looking at where I could take off, loving just watching these monster barrels um, unloading in front of me, kind of tripping out at the whole scene of where it was and how remote it was. And then, yeah, then I then I paddled into a couple, just going on the shoulder to start with, which has always been my approach, going into heavy waves, not going in and just rushing a bomb, free-falling and getting smashed and hitting the reef, but just slowly getting my confidence um, working out that I can make it from a certain point and how hard I had to paddle into it. And then by the time I was ready for a, getting a set, uh, I could see the, a jet ski coming over, which is my mates that had driven down from Perth, that they'd come through the night because they saw the wind observations were good. It was offshore. And I got my first big one, like about a 10-footer, uh, just really vertical drop, uh, big barrel right in front of them just as they rocked up. So, And then we... Yeah, had a really good session together. The boys towing into a few, and I was I was paddling into 
a bunch for a few hours and yeah, it's a full time session. Really fond memories. Beautiful, beautiful description. You brought me right there. And what's the sound like in 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 that barrel? What what's the feeling? Oh yeah, that's that's a good question. That's one of the most awesome parts. And um the experience of being out there by myself is just incredible. Because once once you get so far out to sea, everything's so quiet, especially in the lull. So in the lull, it's just dead silence because you can't hear the land, can't hear the birds, can't hear the wind in the trees. Uh, you're out there, so there's no because quite far out with no other reefs around. There's literally no noise no whitewash it's a calm day no wind so it's a dead silence and then you'll see that day was 10 to 15 foot so you might see two. so when i was looking from the channel at the start i was looking at some 10 12 footers and just be this silence like watching a, a slow motion movie is this lip this this big fat wide swell coming in quite fast and then as it hits the reef just jacking up watching this thing in slow motion the massive thick lip just throwing so far out into the flats and then this ton of water just boom just imploding and and just such a like thunder like clap when it when it uh detonates into the flats just incredible uh and Gorgeous. it just echoes <laughs> yeah so nice. so sick so you know, you speak of building your confidence slowly. You end the session, mm -hmm. you totally kill it. The confidence that you've balled up and you've now taken with you off off of the session, uh, we can call it stoke. We can call it confidence. Speak generally to confidence that's built from the ocean and and what that does to a person when they have to operate in the world. Sure, yeah, it's been massive for me uh, around that especially as i've gotten older as far as um being able to apply like discipline and little little sort of personal mantras to face hard hard tasks or certain emotions particularly negative emotions when you're on land so for example um when when i'm facing maybe going going to work or facing uh, a social situation which I might be a little bit anxious about. Uh, you know, going going to run stretch class and and might be a little bit anxious, just you know, wanting to things to be perfect. And something that I had from that I learned from surfing, particularly when I was younger, starting to ride big waves, is I learned that uh, it was always better once. As far as okay, so when I'm watching these big heavy reefs from the land as a kid, as a teenager, as early twenties, it was that being on land, watching it was where I felt the most fear, the most nervous and questioning myself, Oh, can I get out there? Can I do it? I don't know about this. Um, yeah, really being a bit on edge, a bit scared. And then like not knowing if I was physically capable, then I'd paddle out in the water. And as soon as I get, get in the water, start paddling, go towards the break. I was calm and and that confidence kicked in of knowing yeah i want this i can do this my abilities there and from that from those experiences over the years i just learned to say to myself no matter how big or gnarly it looked 
my personal mantra was just paddle out. You know, three words, just paddle out. And that, that always got me out there. And, and I was always rose to the occasion every time. Yeah, maybe I wiped out, maybe hit the reef sometimes, but just always was able to get out there, feel good and pull it off and have a good time. And so bring that mantra to land whenever I face uh, things that I'm anxious about or things that are feeling like, oh, this is going to be hard. I don't know if I can do this. It will always be in my mind, just paddle out or just just walk in. You know? that was, that's probably one of my... Uh, biggest things that I've brought from the ocean, from wave riding, uh, is that that sort of mental push through factor of being able to face things that that seem hard, that seem like I've got doubt or I've got anxiety. Yeah, that's it. One of my biggest lessons of transferring ocean life to the land. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, and you've you've had so many. Um... what I would perceive from the outside looking in anxiety filled moments, particularly in your competition life, when you go up against your heroes. um, And there's one, one story that I I heard you tell on on a a podcast that I think aired about three years ago where you, you beat, uh, I I think it was in Tahiti, you beat um, uh, Michael Stewart. Uh, You did a 360 in, in the barrel and that story was amazing to me. And I was wondering if, if you could share that um, with, with us uh, from this new perspective you have. And like, particularly what was so interesting was the, the, the um, you, you didn't go into that wave thinking you were going to do something, but you did something amazing and you came out of it and you, it, you won the whole thing because of it. And you were just like, in the most pure flow state there there is and that is such a uh, i think in the interview you described it as a manic state but totally natural and totally um b- between your own spirit and the ocean and the moment i mean you could easily caught an edge and just a- eaten it and that would have been okay but you did you did uh, an incredible thing so maybe briefly or, or however long you uh, take it forever describing this because it's so mm-hmm. beautiful but to Bring bring us there and then bring us to the lesson. Sure, definitely. Yeah, so that's, yeah, definitely brings to mind uh, another sort of perfect lesson as far as something from that from that experience and being able to apply that to, so, that, so if I could say that that experience and that ride was mastery, then being able to bring that mastery to what I've experienced with mental health and with my mind. So, so taking it back to Tahiti, it's still, um, yeah, it still blows me away to this day that, that um, I was able to pull that <laughs> pull that off. That uh, oh, it's just amazing. I mean, I had a lot a lot of preparation leading up to that contest, and as far as I'd done years of world competing and had huge aspirations, and went to the Tahiti with the goal that that was written on a sheet that I'd read every night of of getting first in the Tahiti Tahiti skin. So it's sort of that, that spirit I talked about earlier of just having this, these bold dreams, which you know are nearly impossible, you know, going as a 20-year-old, going up against the world's best that I'd idolised and was so inspired by and just thought they were gods and just had this un, 
just you know unworldly ability guys like Mike Stewart and, and Glenn Tamager who are twice my age but you know something inside of me just a part of me like I say my spirit my, and my true nature I'm just so driven to, to go for these in, impossible goals and these impossible feats and so I, I went there had this goal sheet, first and tied skins, you know, re- reading it every night because I'd, I'd see these guys from day to day and it'd bring me back to this kind of child or, you know, teenager feeling of looking at these guys and, oh, these guys are just my heroes. These are the best guys in the world and sort of losing my own self and losing my confidence because I've idolised these guys so much, just, just not being able to, just losing that, ability to believe that I could beat them in the competition. You know, it it was very, a big fight in my mind to believe that I could do it. And so when competition day came, it was quite near the end of the period. So it was, you know, kind of two weeks of reading the sheet at night, drilling it into my mind that, no, it's possible. I can do this. I want this. I felt my form was really good and the waves were pumping like 8 to 10, 12 foot chokes. Uh, I'd had uh, good wa- good waves through each heat. I'd actually beaten Mike in one of my earlier heats. So that kind of had broken a big, which I'd never competed against Mike. I'd never even thought I could possibly beat him through my whole competitive years as a youngster. And so that was a bit of a, a turning point and realizing, whoa, well, that it is possible. I've just beaten him in a heat. And so I had yeah, good consistent waves and good scores and good momentum through to the final. And then I remember at the, there was a really distinct moment in the final where I had Stuart and Tamiga and Alistair Taylor, another <clears throat> older hero of mine, a charger from South Africa, were all ahead of me paddling out to the peak at the very start of the heat. And they all looked so gnarly and competitive and I could just see they were so driven to win. And, um, you know, not looking at each other, paddling firm and tense, these 40-year-old men, you know, late 30s, so much experience, so strong uh, in this first time ever compa chokes. And I just remember thinking, oh, I'm just, I just feel like a kid here. I'm so so far out of my league. Um, but this is amazing. I was just so stoked to be in that moment. Just seeing, oh, I, of course I'm going to let these guys paddle ahead of me to me ahead of me to the peak. They're, these guys are my heroes. These guys are the best guys in the sport. So I can't wait to watch them in this comp. But then I had my Aussie mates on the boats in the channel yelling, "Go Harbors, go go!" I was, you know, chanting my name, and that sort of you know, hit my heart and hit me in a place of like, okay, let's go. It's on now. I mean, so I took last place in priority, got a bit of a warm-up wave, a bit of a shoulder, it was a no score. The boys were still chanting, getting me to keep going. And then so my first wave that actually got wide of the peak, so the other guys had pushed each other too deep, that I was sitting wide and I got the best score of the hit so far. So I got like a, just a good, thick, wide west barrel. And that really started, got me pumped and thought, whoa, big score, this is this put me in a chance and the, the Aussie boys were yelling at me again go Harbles get out there go 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 and so after that first wave 
some more waves came in and so the guys Stuart, Tammy, Alistair all got a wave and that left me deepest on the reef and so at that point I had to tell myself or right, hold my position don't get snagged here don't get to push too deep hold the position had the goal in my mind all right let's keep going keep going stay focused you know don't lose myself in looking at the guys and losing that belief in myself and then this yeah bomb set came probably an eight foot set it wasn't really big one it was yeah a good size like if you're, if you're at, on the edge of the reef that chokes and you're seeing a set coming it's, it's a real moment of uh, of shading off any doubt you've got to be totally committed like, all right positioning paddle hard there's no doubt you know you can, there's no hesitation or it's just not on so it's a real switch on focus turn around paddle hard into the drop not thinking anything about what i'm going to do in the right here just knowing i've got to position myself well and i just sort of go hard probably knowing a little bit in my head that just going for another score you know getting my top two total that's what the total score is going to be out of dropped quite a vert drop so just trying to get down it paddling really hard so i could beat the suck and get down a quick and then went into the bottom turn and on footage you see that it spits for quite a while pretty strong spit that almost looks like it would have blinded me but the interesting thing is in my memory i don't remember even seeing a spit because i think i was so focused on first of all taking drop and then looking down the line at the wall that i it probably did maybe blind me for a sec but i was so had such a focused image on the angle of the wall and the pace at which the wave was going to take from from that long term moment. I was already seeing what the wave was going to be doing. So even if I was blinded for two seconds, I had a vision and a, and a, a prediction of what where the wave was going to break, how it was going to break. And it was in that moment of seeing the wave's lip line and the wrap and the size that I decided, okay, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a spin. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's ridiculous how quick that decision-making was in that moment because, well, A, you don't really go out choke singing, I'm going to do a spin in the barrel. And B, you know, I've never seen a wave that big or that sort of heavy-looking in the barrel here so it just all came from that that inner nature of, of that moment of uh doing the doing the impossible basically you know having that goal there being under all this pressure but all this amp and just sending my emotions and my, my mental and physical capabilities just to its maximum and in that split second seeing that lip line and that, that wrapping barrel and that big throwing wave it's in that second of like okay this is where i'm going to spin when i'm going to do a spin in the barrel because i can see if i spin at the right moment with the right uh, amount of push into the rail and keep myself going across while i'm going through that heavy barrel section that's wrapping that i'm going to have a chance of making it so yeah that kind of all happened in a flash of making a decision and then the awesome thing is when i turned into the 
being that much, but I remember being backwards facing the barrel and it just suddenly, my memory is just of a, a thousand frames a second of just seeing this massive barrel growing and, and just being a complete barrel with the mountains as some coming around the spin, mountains and the lip line and the flats, just all in slow motion. And it's just the most, the most incredible vision and that memory. And then so I've come around, memories coming around, seeing the mountains, but then being focused on seeing the hole out through to the channel and then just holding on as tight as I've ever held to come through that barrel section or at least like putting my shoulders and head forward to be keeping my momentum going forward and keeping that speed high enough and up enough to be able to come through the barrel to make it. And there was a bit of chandelier as well. If you can see on the video, there's a bit of whitewash comes down. So that tenseness held me to come through that last section. And then, and then I popped out and, and was racing towards the channel knowing, oh my God, I've made it. And as I was holding on to the chandelier, I think I could just see the boats in the channel. But as I came out, I was way down the reef and I couldn't see anyone. And I could just see the mountains. And uh, uh, I was just in this moment of, holy shit, just like, what, what have I just done? And kind of was a bit blown away of uh, almost like speechless, thoughtless. I didn't even, couldn't even think, oh my God, I've, I've uh, just got my second high scoring ride. I could possibly win. I was just like, wow, what just happened? And then I pulled off the back and it was a skins format. So I had to throw my arm up in the air. And I remember throwing my arm up and that was where the stoke hit me. And I was so amped and so stoked. And then I could hear the whole boat channel was just erupting. Yeah, it's a bit emotional. Um, it was such a powerful moment. And um, after that, I had to go and sit off to the side after you claimed to go sit off the side and I had to watch the content, the, the rest of the comp, but for so, somehow uh, I felt that I'd already won. I just, I just kind of felt it. I just sort of, all right, I feel like I've done enough. I did eight, five and a 10. Not that I knew, I didn't, they weren't calling the scores, the scores out. But uh, yeah, it just felt like a, a total confidence that no matter what the guys tried or did, that I'd, I'd won it. And uh, I sort of went into this calm state over in the channel, just sort of blown, blown away by what I'd done. And then the, it got towards the end. The guys got a couple of waves, but nothing too special. They were, had hassled each other out a bit too much because of the pressure to keep up to get to my, because they, they would have heard, heard the whole channel and the boats erupting when I'd had my spin in the barrel wave. I knew that they had to get a you know, really high score. And then there was a countdown in the last 10 seconds. And then uh, I paddled over to the Aussie boys and they all uh, made a circle and were chanting and like pushing me up in the air. And um, I remember uh, like everyone was sort of celebrating and congratulating me. And then I came back to the boat harbour near the shore after, just after the final had been surfed and I hadn't, seen Stuart yet, I hadn't seen, I think maybe Tamagru congratulated me in the, in the channel, 
But um, when I got back to shore on this little boat harbour where the boats came in, Stuart um, came up really warmly and gave me and I just remember um, being a, a, ball, a bawling mess because uh, I just couldn't believe what had happened. And um, it was just such a, a high moment. I was just buzzing for the rest of the day, probably for the next week. Uh, as you know, just couldn't believe as a 20 year old, you know, having that dream and surfing this amazing comp with all the best guys and, you know, pulling off that wave. It was just like uh, full childhood dream come true. You know, it was just such a big moment. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, I, I feel like I was there with you and, you know, it, it's now 20 years later, you, you, you're still, you, emotional thinking back to it and, and recounting the, the story um looking back on on that on that moment and in that time um and reflecting on all that's happened since um where where, where does that that put you do, does that uh does that make you and yourself like scream for a, another another victory or as a champion what how how does that how does that fall into the into the the schematics of life especially where you are now yeah sure um as far as uh say competitions goes and and aspirations like that that i had at that age um yeah def i definitely don't have those aspirations now i feel like fulfilled at, at that that stage of my life and how hard I went and the, the goals and the dreams I had. Um, you know, so I feel, I feel quite satisfied to, to have went through, gone through that part of life and, and given it everything I had, you know, and, and achieved some pretty big goals and amazing things that, that I'm really satisfied with and fulfilled with as a person. Um, and then something that I've drawn from that, uh, particularly with facing like mental and emotional challenges is being able to sort of simplify uh, that, that mastery under um, extreme conditions, you know, whether, whether it's um, just a single ride or a competition or, or riding and finding flow in general to it, to a sort of mastery level. Um, you know, I've, I've found a, a similar sort of cross-reference technique or, and around the mind as far as your thoughts and emotions and being able to, to manage that to find calm in the middle of it because the mind, as everyone knows, the thoughts and the emotions can be a pretty chaotic place and can be really racy and uh, can really throw you off centre. You know, can really throw you off calm and become pretty panicked, pretty anxious, pretty, it can really throw us into a negative place. And obviously riding a wave, for example, like chokes or, or trying a manoeuvre like spin in the barrel, or, you know, even just taking off on a set is, is exactly the same, you know, facing uh, thoughts and emotions, which are pretty extreme. And at, that's only really possible to manage that and pull it off, you know, find a flow state through experience and through mastery. And so 
having lived through a mental health experience, which is pretty gnarly as far as uh, the thoughts you have and the emotions around that and trying to find calm in the middle of it and, um, and awareness of what's happening, um, yeah, I think is, is very similar. So, for example, so when you're, let's say, for example, the, the wave eroded chopes, um, you've got the, the wave to start with. So there's the, the power and the speed of that wave, which uh, could equal to a thought that you have in the mind. So this is sort of a, uh, a reading of either something that's happening in your mind or something that's happening in the, the physical environment around you. So it's a description or the analogy of what's happening before emotion. So that's, that's, the, that's the wave itself. So before you're writing it on your board, before you're executing something with flow, there's the wave, there's a, there's a thought to start with. And then once you're on your board, on the wave, then you come into the feeling. And uh, that's, you know, it could be the feeling of speed, could be the feeling of, you know, wobble, trying to control it. You know, it's, it's emotion starting to rise once you're on the board and you're feeling things. And there's a need to have awareness around that to be able to then direct it and control it and master it. So once you've gone through the thought, then in perceiving that thought, in reflecting on the, that thought, there's going to be emotion, you know? So so when you're on the wave, there's the emotion at a probably more beginner level is, oh shit, or, oh my God, this is, this is intense. This, this, oh my God, am I going to nosedive? Um, am I going to slide out? You know, there's so, until there's mastery and experience coming to it, then that feeling becomes more automatic because you learn to control it and you learn to know what, how to direct that, that feeling, how to turn it into control. You know, in a bodyboard, you might move further back and you might be able to harness that speed more and direct it. So in experience with the mind, so you've had this thought, it might be a bit of a crazy thought, it might be a pretty extreme thought, and from that, you get this emotion, which is, it might be real, a strong sadness. It might be a strong worry, uh, something, something like that, you know, something really negative. And that within the experience, say perhaps when a person with mental health is first experiencing this really strong emotion, that can really knock you, knock you over. You know, that can really, you can really struggle with managing that and finding calm in there. So then in the third step, which becomes where you become flow or the mastery from experience. So, you know, so you felt the wave's power and you're okay with that. You're working with that through experience. You're, you're with mastery and with experience, you know this feeling on the board. You can you can harness the speed, you can direct it, you're in control, you know it. You know, and that's that's the emotion. You know the feeling on your board. You're able to harness it. If you can manage that feeling, it's not you're not scared anymore. You're not, oh my God, what's this? You know what to do with that. You know what to do with that feeling. So then so the the wave and that your mastery of the board, then it becomes a synergy from that and you're able to flow. So both the wave's power and the mastery of the board is where, you know, your, your nature, your true nature, your spirit behind that allows you 
to flow with both of those things working in synergy and not being thrown off by that. So in the mind realm, you're, you're having the thought and you're observing the emotion. So you're not so much getting caught up in this whirlwind of the emotion and getting, you know, like you might see in a child becoming really upset or really angry or really worried. You know, so it's more of a, a through mastery and experience, it's more of an observation of the emotion that's happening. So sure, you might be feeling, there might be a slight observation of feeling angry or feeling worried or feeling nervous or angry, but through mastery and emotion of just being able to see from further distance, from further uh, perspective, deeper perspective, more slowed down through being more calm, then that then that feeling can be can pass can pass away and not interrupt with where you really want to go forward from your best decision from your truest self. So that allows you to you know ride the wave in the way that you really want to that you'd really you really want to ride it from you know your your mastery from your experience and without being thrown off by the worry, the hesitation, and the inexperience. And so in you know, riding your mental health through your thoughts and your emotion that might throw you off who you from who you really are or what your true nature is, then through through experience and, and you know mentoring and uh, getting to know yourself, you can be calmer and you can see things from more of a distance and more slowed down and navigate life with you know through the awareness and through the experience of your own true person you know, not not being too rattled by by emotion or by thoughts of what other people think of you or how the pressure of how people think you should be but just more acting and going through life the way you want to you know you're your truest version of yourself, your truest spirit. And that's probably in more recent times that the experience that I've gained, bringing it from the ocean and, and crossing it and, and synergizing it with my experience with mental health. Yeah. So deep, so deep and brilliant, brilliantly said, Thank you so much for, for delivering that to us here. Now, what, what really struck me is the, your sensitivity to the physical nature of water. And the, the aesthetic uh, of that is, is what you're a genius of. I want to know how, how much does the visual aesthetic play into your, your um, way of, of being in, in, in both of those realms. And then, when you're not in the water, how much does looking at pictures of of the ocean uh, transport, or does it at all? Uh, and um, and I would like to know, like, is the visual aesthetic of the water when you're in it does that play a big role in the stoke factor that you receive uh, in addition to the movement and the feeling uh, tactilely? Sure. So you mean the visual as far as you know what 
what I'm seeing when I'm in the water in the ocean. Yeah, like like or or even just waiting for your set and just seeing the the soft fascination of the water around you and the fluidity of of it visually speaking. I mean, we can feel it, but seeing it as the light changes, you know, whether it be morning, a uh, middle of the day, uh, you know, evening, all these different periods have different feelings and emotions uh, to them. And I would like a, a word from you on, on that because um, in in my realm professionally, it, it's it's photos that's that's the realm i'm i'm uh, i'm in is is looking and uh you know i i i physically operate also in the water not to the level of you obviously but the the looking of it i'm very interested in as far as like how that affects us and then how that affects us when we're not in the water uh, looking at at water in our in our homes or in a mental in a mental um state that is uh is not positive and how maybe looking at a, a picture of an ocean in, in that state can bring you to a higher level um by just doing so yeah i love that i love this um what what comes to mind straight away is when you're talking about that is i have this image of looking at a, a swell a wave from the back when I was at an outer reef in Bali, just surfing by myself. Cause it seems like, especially when you're surfing by yourself, you really connect with the sensory experience of what you see, what you feel, uh, what you hear and the touch. Like it's really sensory and, and there's a really strong uh, direct con connection. And so I have this image of <clears throat> just sitting out the back on the reef, beautiful day, like really glassy blue, um, and watching a, a swell from behind just slowly move through unbroken water. So moving through blue water, it's not quite breaking, but it's standing tall and the sparkles, and, and the, so the sparkles on the back of that swell and the, just the, watching the swell do gracefully move through the water. And just being fascinated with that and feeling synergized with that you know that that's that's i guess what um that mantra about was about at the start is that because it comes uh, it said it comes at a pace which is in sync with the universal flow and that that includes the ocean you know it includes the sound of the waves the movement of water and so when i think of of seeing that water moving and the feeling of, of seeing that mantra is there's a very, very much a synergy in the pace of what I'm seeing and feeling. So it's a synergy in the movement of that swirl, the sparkles of sun on the water, the movement of the palm trees on the shores behind, you know, and that's just so calming and such a connection there. So beautiful to be in that moment. Yeah, so that's, I guess, touching on what you're saying as far as the visual and being able to connect to that and enjoy that. Yeah, was there, was there something else in there that you were asking? Well, my, yeah, my, and then my follow-up to that was, let's go back to Tahiti. Is Tahiti one of the best places to see just the purest water? And um, if not, where is? Oh, it's definitely out there. Definitely, definitely up there. Having, um, I'm just thinking of particularly at sunset time. You got these really orange brewing colours. So it's glassing off from the from the day, and you got the green 
the sun's lighting up the green mountains in the backdrop, I feel like quite often the whole picture for me, um, you know, makes it as far as the feeling of the place, you know, just so, so the ocean is just dead glass. There's those slow swells moving through the ocean. And then there's the, there's the reflections of the, the green mountains and there's the, the hints of soft orange running across the water. And it just makes for this scene of just incredible beauty. Palm trees lined up along the shore. Uh, and, and that goes through amazing ranges of colors throughout the day, more of a, um, a aqua blue uh, through the morning in that, in that more morning light. And then the mountains are a bit darker, but the greens are really bright still on the shore and the whites are really bright in the surf. And it just goes through the different shades throughout the day until that late afternoon time, which is just magic. But for sure, that's that'd have to be one of the more scenic and more like strong, I think more, just a really impacting image because there's so much going on, which all comes together. Yeah, I, th I find um, Byron Bay to me really has a, a strong feel um, as far as it has the, the bay itself, the way it's situated is the sun rises perfectly in the east at the right-hand point of the bay there. And then it moves around the entire bay, which there's, <clears throat> there's mountains in the background to the north and a beautiful big bay, blue water, island off the coast. So the sun rises in the east over the most eastern point, which is the most eastern point of Australia. And then it, and then it moves around to the north all the way around to the west, which then sets over the mountain and the bay receives the sun and this beautiful white sand beach. It's under the sunlight for the whole day. And it's these like really cool volcanic rocks on the beach and along the points um, that receive the, the light. And so it just gives the place a really strong buzz because it's so well aligned with the sun and with those strong, uh, really kind of raw, big uh, nature nature features all around it in, in every direction of the compass. And that to me stands out as one of the more like impacting natural scenery places that I've been. Also Hawaii, Hawaii is incredible too. Mountains, uh, big swells, white sand beaches, yeah, yeah. What what's your favorite spot in Hawaii? Uh, let's see. I th yeah, I think I, I find the North Shore pretty hard to beat. Um, I mean, especially if you if you take away the, the human element um, of just the nature of the place, how the waves, the big heavy waves, break close to the shore. It's it's quite a, um, a bit of a juxtaposition, I suppose, of a contrast of these incredibly big dangerous waves um, coming so close to the shore and smashing into the, the lava reefs below. Um, you know, when you're watching that, just looking out the ocean, it's just such an incredible thing to see these big, scary lines smashing, making these loud noises. And then if you were to turn around from that, you just see these beautiful palm trees, really lush green, um, valleys and then rising up to really scenic beautiful mountaintops 
and um, there's rivers there. You know, the Waimea River is just incredible, that valley. And yeah, it just makes this mis mix of this contrast of such a beautiful, peaceful, uh, and really like a part of nature that just really gives you a feeling of love. And then you look around just to the ocean, which just is incredibly powerful, dangerous, intimidating, <laughs> hair raising. Uh, so, you know, they'd have to be up there with the most powerful, gnarly waves of the world. And so that in itself just makes this incredible experience. Yeah. And I find the experience sitting on the beach, particularly at Pipe, is especially for, uh, well, for me, my experience is being highly sensitive. I feel uh, vibrations of things really strong. So, so for me to sit on the beach at Big Pipe, where you know the waves slam into the reef, and I'm feeling in my body, not just in the noise of the, but in my body, I'm feeling like a mini earthquake in the sand, and um, that that gets the adrenaline going. Just just feeling it. So for me, sitting at Pipe, I can't I can't really sit on the beach all morning or all day because I'm getting too amped up. There's too much adrenaline going. <laughs> So it's like if I'm there, I've got to be getting in the water or I've got to be getting out of there to find some peace because it's too draining on my, on my energy because it's just incredibly powerful. And there's so much um, energy, not just in the ocean, but um, transforming and transferring into the land, into the shoreline. And the 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 scene at pipe is so heavy amongst all peoples. Everyone is trying is out there to just prove something to themselves or to someone else between the photographers, the surfers and, and the bodyboarders. What, how was that for you as a sensitive person and a competitive person um, putting yourself in that, in, in that mix, you know, you're there for, for, for the pipe itself, but there's all this other stuff happening around. Um, what, what was that like for you? Yeah, very, very true. Um, the interesting thing there is that I was trying to sort of remove the human element and just focus on what seen, what you see in the ocean, what you see on land, and then yeah, just like you're saying that the human element is just as sort of fascinating, interesting, gnarly, intimidating. Um, yeah, so for me, yeah, like like you mentioned, as a sensitive person and. Um, just feeling so much, not just in nature, but also in, in the human realm. Um, going out into the crowded lineups like a pipe where it's um, people are just you know, shoulder to shoulder, 100 people out. Um, and, you know, very strong, uh, I guess you'd say, sort of macho uh, element out there of, as far as pecking order, as far as having a, having a call hard to catch a wave, having a sort of jostle and hassle a bit to get to the inside position uh, yeah, that was really intense for me and I really didn't <laughs> didn't really like it um, particularly when the wave is so heavy and, and hard to position and hard to make without even considering other people it, it's the sort of I think it's a wave for me that is hardest to position and take off on because it's moving so fast and jacking so fast that if you turn your back on it and paddle just for a couple of seconds, that's going to be the difference of the wave picking up and just 
throwing you into a free fall or throwing you in a lip. So your accuracy and um, vigilance of watching the wave and moving left or right or outside or inside as the wave's approaching you, even within a few meters, is so critical. And then if you've got someone, if you've got to take your eyes off the wave and be looking at other people on the inside, on the outside, and you're turning your senses away from the wave, so you've got to be listening, looking, uh, even perhaps feeling if there's someone behind you. Like it's so, it's so gnarly and intense that there's no, it's no wonder that people uh, take off in the wrong position out there, get injured, that drop-ins happen. Because you've got to be so focused in the takeoff to start with that, um, you know, all this crazy stuff happens. So, yeah, for me, it was always uh, just a nervy experience. It wasn't that enjoyable. I loved surfing the wave. I loved it most when it was kind of big and uh, a bit messy and there was space in the lineup. Yeah, that was that was when I really felt I thrived out there and, and got my best waves and had the best time. I remember a funny thing I had uh, with my other Aussie mate, Ben Player, where he'd started noticing that, on especially, especially on the smaller days when it was really thick, close crowd, he'd notice that after a wave, I'd go and like spend quite a bit of time in the channel before I'd paddle out. And he'd go, Hartballs, oh, what are you doing? Why are you always hanging out there down in the channel, uh, spending so much time down there? And, and I had to admit to him, well, I can't pee in the lineup, man. There's too much, too much stage fright. There's too much, too much pressure out here. I can't. It doesn't, it doesn't work for me. So I have to go, get down to the channel, get my space, and, and get some peace, and then do my pee down there. Oh, <laughs> so that's um, a bit of a sum up of my Hawaiian experience. Yeah, that's so good. But but you still rank it as one of your favorite spots and the place that you you'd even go back to. Uh, if we could get you a a little machine to take you anywhere in the world right now uh, would you go to a place that you've been before or would you do you have a destination that's on on your uh, on your list of dreams that you would like to to visit island that's a, a place that I've, I've never gotten to and just the, the place really appeals to me and the, the reefs look sick and i hear it's you know good vibe surfing there yeah that definitely comes straight to mind so you ha did you see that uh, recent swell from a couple of weeks ago that that they got? No, no, I haven't. Just more yeah. bombs, is it? Yeah. Well, um, again, the the guys who who uh, introduced me to you, um, uh, the 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 Salmon Brothers, uh, uh, Keen was over there, and he I, I found out about him because he shot a um, a photo of one of my our uh, our local heroes here, uh, Mason Barnes in the most gnarly wave I've ever seen in Ireland. And it was just in, in, incredible. Um, so that I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you after, after this podcast, you can check it out and put it on, on your uh, vision board. But, um, uh, you know, just a yeah. few more, a few more questions here. Uh, you, you're a coach now. What, what is, uh, what are the first principles you deliver to your students regarding just being in the ocean and and having a good time what what's what's the what, what's the key point yeah so that's a great question so the uh the mo the main coaching i do these days is a week-long camp in bali at um 
uh, the business we have there, Bali, Bali Warding. So it's really cool having a week because it's an experience where you can kind of sort of a like really find having a good time, having a lot of fun because it's not just one session where you're trying to yeah pump out all this coaching and this specific like technique and uh, really trying to hit goals. It's more yeah, there's so if you if you can span that over a week, then there's not so much the pressure or the um you know the intensity of trying to it, it almost becomes stressful. I feel if it's a short like two hour um, session where you know a, the person doing the the coaching might have so many goals and aspirations, but you can only hit so much. So it's almost like a pressure or stress thing. But when you've got a whole week of surfing then that side of it, as far as the performance, the aspirations, uh, the technique, things like that, it only becomes a small part of, you know, these seven days of surfing for hours. And then it becomes this deeper experience of, you know, how much how much of a good time can we have? Um, check out these, this scenery of, of where we are. You get to, to slow things down. You come out of the sort of, first day rush of oh yeah we're you know surfing we're doing the hardy camp in bali um we're going to be videoing we're going to be trying all these moves and and you know living this dream of becoming you know finding our best ability to wow how good's this this um sport this activity we're doing in life which makes us feel so good so like grateful to have this experience and you know be experiencing this culture in bali because it's a beautiful place and just you know bringing the positiveness and the, the happiness out of the experience more than that sort of it can almost be a bit like egotistical or, or it's, it can be a bit too much influence from outside as to why you're doing it as opposed to what i touched on earlier is you know your true nature and your spirit and what really is the reason behind why you're finding happiness doing it you know so it's not it's not so much because you can get a wave on instagram and show people how much you're ripping or or to to, to show yourself how good you are by improving or progressing it's it's getting beneath those layers to the to the more simple layer of well how good does it feel getting into the water each day at sunrise and the feeling of, of jumping on the board and paddling out with your mates and the feeling of just actually riding the wave at these fun breaks and, and you know, getting the speed up and getting a barrel and just, just taking it below, well, how good's my style in the barrel? How clean was that manoeuvre? Um, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's, I guess, the aim <clears throat> of where I like to, to take people on their on their week's experience is, you know, go, going through all the stuff like you know the technical stuff and the high performance and realizing that uh, you know high performance is an actual high feeling because it feels good to surf good, you know, so it feels good to surf a wave really well. But when you dig deeper and, and expand it over a week, then you can you learn to enjoy the wipeouts more and and then negative you know the negatives don't seem so negative and 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 you can find more more simple positives and it's a real 
it's a good metaphor around life I, I find like again that transferring the experience in the ocean to land where once you slow things down a little and become a quite easily quite easily pleased by things then you can find more enjoyment in life and and have a more positive experience sort of on a, a simple level from day to day and go from there yeah so deep uh a, a couple of years ago i gave up surfing for a year and i just surfed the foam top and i, I did this to um well my knee started in, i got a knee injury but then i healed but i i just stuck with the foam top because i was having more fun and i began to realize that like the surfing i was doing on on my shortboards was very egotistical and i was um it, i was wrapped up in an in a in a ego and when i was on the foam top i did i didn't care and i ha was having more yeah. fun be because of that and like i got to thinking i was like if the if the sun is the ego and the moon is is the uh embodiment of um all it, it sounds like that's what you're delivering mm -hmm. at your camp it's like a shattering of the of the self and what the self's trying to do for whatever external reason and you're coming to the moment and you're coming to the moment for the joy of the moment and um what what you just described was brilliant where uh can, can people do you still have openings at your camp if, if anyone's listening um can they can they join up um what, what's the protocol Sure. Yeah, it's on Instagram and, and a website, barleybodyboarding.com. And I, I just run camps there from April to November, uh, basically every four weeks. I do two weeks, two one-week camps up there. Yeah, but it's, it's just so, so great. I just love it um, as that thing to look forward to every month of because it's such a beautiful place and the waves are so consistent. Um, and we just have small groups and we're able to travel around the island um for me probably the best thing about it is going to bed each day knowing i'm going to wake up and like go on an adventure and it's going to be glassy i'm going to go to these like beautiful places on the island and get in the ocean it's just such a good uh routine and so and so you get in this really nice rhythm and it's it's a you know it's really positive part of life for me it's really um I just really love it. It makes me love Bali and love going there. Beautiful. Do, do you, um, you have, you have a family, you have children. How do you uh, operate with them as far as like getting them into the ocean, uh, pushing them, but not pushing them too much. What What is your philosophy around children and exposure to, to your passions and what you think is, is the right path and uh, what advice do you have for parents? Um, out there yeah that's a really interesting one because you see just as far as how much how much the parents push the kids or or let them have their way and it just has such a different uh impact or outcome you know like you see uh some kids that are pushed will say compete early and and actually go on to have a career some kids that are pushed will just completely not like it and hate the parents for it uh, some parents will completely let the kids do what they want to do so they're just on devices and screens all day but it's really you just don't know how how it's going to come out but so for me my approach has been uh, my wife and i have, have loved just taking the kids to the beach a lot um both because we've spent 
a lot of our kids' lives in Bali. Doing, we'd spend six months in Bali and six months in Margaret River. And so we were allowed around the beach and, and living through the summer a lot through the last sort of 10 years. And so our approach would be, we'd be a little bit pushy as far as getting the kids to the beach. So quite often they'd be resistant, be saying, oh, no, I want to stay at home with my screen. I don't want to go to the beach. Don't feel like it. But as soon as they got to the beach and got into that scene and that environment, they, they were into it and they were fine. And we learned that. So we knew, okay, once if we push them to get there, then it's going to be fine. They're going to have a good time. They're going to have fun. And so uh, we've always had bodyboards, of course, because I've had my own brand and we've had little boards for the kids and boards of mine, uh, baby boards. And then we've also had like stand up soft boards around or our friends' boards, uh, but ge generally more body boards. And um, I've, I've just basically let them choose what, what they'd like to do, to do and when they'd like to go in the water. So I've, I, might, I might like suggest, or you know, to my son when he was younger, do you want to come out on the board with me? But if he resists, if he wants to, then great. But if he resists, then that's fine. I'm, I, that's my approach. It's just not to, not to push someone uh, beyond what they're comfortable doing. Yeah. So it's really so for the kids. It's been really their choice how far they want to take it as far as their their surfing lives, and um, uh, that's really been it. And it's felt it's felt very natural, and, it, and it's been quite relaxed like that. And we've had a great time. I'd say for the majority of the time. The kids have been just on the sandbank having a bodyboard, no flippers, and just you know that that freedom I give them just always allows them to have a good time. They're having fun. They're not getting upset, getting pushed too much. Uh, they're not getting getting wiped out beyond their capability. They're, if they don't want to go out further, that's fine. I just stay with them. And then so ju just recently, my eldest son at 12 age 12 he's just decided by himself that he wants to bodyboard he wants to come out with me he wants me to teach him all the tricks he's a bit million miles an hour so he wants to learn mastery in the first session so i have to tell him uh now you got to slow down a bit we've got to learn to paddle into a wave first we've got to uh, learn to duck dive and then, we'll, and then we'll work on a turn and hand positioning so that's that's been really fun um i've loved it that he's chosen it of his own accord that he has made the decision himself that he wants to dive into it and of course i'm loving it and uh, the fact that he wants to go bodyboarding with me every day in the holidays that's awesome and and it's even better because it's so pure that he decided that he wants it there's no you know there's no spite there. there's nothing negative so for me that feels kind of ideal and then it'll be the same approach for my younger daughter and my younger son of just having that bit more relaxed approach, a bit more stand back and listen and feel out what they'd like to do and encourage and how, how old are they? They're 12, 9, and 1 and a half. Yeah. Very cool. We're on the same page. I have a 4, 9, and, and 11. So, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah I I, I, I I'm driving with you. I completely understand. And that bit about your 12 year old wanting mastery immediately just hit home. Uh, my son, yeah. my, he, my son, particularly, he, uh, he, he gets frustrated if he can't do the thing the, the first time. And I'm like, bro, 
I didn't learn to throw a football overnight. You know, it, it takes, it takes a, a bit and uh, kid, kids mm-hmm. are, are interesting like that. What, what advice do you have uh, generally speaking to the kids out there listening to this? What, what, what key bit of wisdom um, would you like to drop after all the wisdom you've already dropped in the last two hours, but if you could hone it down to a, a, um, a rice kernel. Yeah, sure. Um, well, kids are so interesting because they're, they're so, you know, they're moving so fast as, as you know, and they want to, they want to do everything right now and they want to progress this and they want to become that. And so they're so aspiration driven and, uh, they're so you know performance driven. It's almost impossible to stop the pure things about what they're doing. So yeah, for me, it, it seems uh, really important to kind of work with that. So yeah, I think I think probably for me, in, in when you ask that question, is it's how much can you pay attention to the kids' needs, uh, having having empathy towards how they feel about things and what's going to fulfil um their needs and make and make them happy in in a way that's not going to then lead to disappointment that's going to be something that can be sustained and um, allow them to move forward in a way uh, that's encouraging and not going to lead to um, something negative brilliant advice uh and my um my last question for you, uh, Ryan, what, what is the meaning of life from your perspective at this point in, in your existence? Live it up. That's what comes to mind. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that to me feels like uh, that's something that's always come to mind for me as far as, uh, enjoying life. Like, yeah, obviously things get hard and, there's negative experiences. It's unavoidable. So yeah, a, a huge thing through my mental health experience and, you know, the, the label bipolar and the emotional experiences of extreme downs and extreme ups, I think a um, relative thing to talk about on this point, this finish is, you know, in life, everyone's going to have that. Everyone's going to have negative experiences, positive experiences, negative emotions, positive emotions, at whatever level or extremity or depth. And for me, from my life experience with that, being now at 44, with where the importance of managing the, the lows, you know, being able to, to bounce back to to at least to neutral, to calm, uh, or to have faith that it's, it's going to come back to, to calm or positive. And then I think the fun part, then the live it up part for me is okay. So that part's managed that parts I've had experience in that part. I, I can do that. Okay. So now it's going to go to positive and I'm going to fucking send it <laughs> just to get strong there. You know, I, I've just learned that shit. I've been through this hard time. You know, if you're going to go through that shit and you're going to be so down and just struggling so much in yourself that when you have that opportunity to actually feel good and um it's particularly when it's natural you know you're not, not talking about you know drugs or doing these artificial things or ego but to actually experience things like surfing 
Well, for me, I love I love music. I love dancing. I love getting to nature. You know, I have really um, high moments just being in nature at times. And for me to feel <clears throat> that emotion coming up of enjoying that moment, enjoying that experience, um, to just like open the flood, open the gates and just let that fuel my body, let the emotions just erupt as my spirit coming out, you know, in in physical movements, in voice, in screams, in tears, uh, whatever it wants to be. I, that's That for me is living it up, is the emotional expression. And I think surfing, surfing, bodyboarding, whatever experience you're having in the ocean, to be able to find and allow your spirit to come through in your physical expression is probably the best feeling there is in life for me to be able to really ride the wave with that expression with that feeling and then you know fuck if you've had a good ride you're in a good moment in a magical place to just celebrate that in whatever way the real true nature of that feeling inside and in your spirit wants to express itself that to me is living that's the epitome of living it up ryan hardy you just sent this podcast to the moon man and i i cannot thank you enough for for just spilling it out sharing your your soul with us because you you've spoken to me on so many levels and i know that you're going to speak or you are speaking to whoever's listening here in the future on, on just multiple realms of uh, existence. So I, I, I bow to you. I thank you for your time today. Take, take, taking it away from your morning in, in your beautiful country. And um, before we go, what is, what is a resource that, that people could, you could direct people to that are driving with, with what you're speaking and what you're, what you're saying uh where what direction uh should should they go sure um i just have uh messages on my instagram i guess if, if anyone wants to reach out but uh, i th- i feel like the main thing that's coming to mind is just go to the ocean go and make it and, and deepen your connection there and uh you know it's it's this sort of thing where everyone has a unique connection with the ocean and with the, with the universe you know when i make when i say that seeing that mantra hum between me and the universe and everyone has a unique vibration a unique hum and a unique voice with their experience in the world and um i really encourage people to to tap into that at whatever medium to find that connection and the joy that comes with that you know i feel like that is the most pure opportunity and like communication and experience. And I really am motivated to sort of uh, go further with that and deepen my experience with that and, and spread my, my knowledge and mastery with that. Cause you know, as a coach, that's, that's the opportunity is to f- spread your knowledge and your experience for other people to be able to enjoy that experience as well, to be able to live it up in their own unique way, in the way that I've, I'm able to live it up. Yeah. So um, that's my uh, encouragement, my advice for the day.
Yeah, and and clearly bodyboarding is just the scratch of the surface. There's so much more here. Uh, guys, at Hardballs on Instagram, check him out. Um, crazy footage of, of him to this day doing gnarly maneuvers in the ocean, and it's, it's something to, to, to see. Um, Ryan, I can't thank you enough again for, for coming on Speaking From Water, episode 32. And uh, you're, you're the dude. Respect. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just uh, love talking about it, especially the um, any of any of that ocean stuff, you know. And, and you, I know, I know that my connection with the ocean, it seems just so much more emotional and stronger, deeper, uh, more meaningful, more impactful than than any other experience I have with nature. You know, like I, I love all aspects of nature. We have beautiful forests and bush here. Every um, sensory experience of the ocean for me um, just seems so much more powerful. And I know you resonate with that. And everyone listening, I know, has this love with the water and with the ocean and with the coast. And that's, you know, I just cannot um, guarantee enough that your life is going to be enriched the longer and the deeper that you connect that. And, and just a final, a final point here uh, that resonates hard with me. And I know it's going to resonate with everyone who probably tunes into this podcast, but to the person who, who might be living in say central Australia, central uh, America, uh, excuse me, United States. And they don't know this fact yet. But there's something in my heart that believes that they they too can feel this this energy, this positive force. Um, I guess how do we deliver that to them? I guess we do that through this podcast. But then I guess the the ultimate question is, uh, why why does the ocean do this? And um, I think I think we know why again because of the power it is and it's it's the same thing that's been there since before the dinosaurs and it will be here after the humans are gone and it's the only thing in this universe that we know of that has it and that's the water and um on, on that note this this earth we have right here uh that that's that's all we have and here you are on the other side of the planet uh, from me and we're speaking um the the same language but but even deeper the same message so um on that note i i would like to again thank you so much thanks you sean yeah love it and, and ryan um i i hope we can uh stay in touch and if i'm if i'm ever on your side i'll hit you up and please if you ever come to the east coast um, I, I would love to meet you in, in person Great, Sean. Sounds good. We'll get our kids in the water. That's right. So that's and guys, fun place. It, oh, absolutely. And uh, you have your own line of bodyboards, guys. If you would like to pick up uh, one of one of Ryan's bodyboards, uh, do you ship to America? Yes. Yeah. Doing the online service. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I'll put the link in the the description below. And uh, with that, this has been episode. 32 speaking from water with Ryan Hardy and bro you're the man
Thanks again. John, yep. See you soon. All right, bro. Peace.